The Playful Psychologist podcast is hosted by me, Emily Hanlon, a clinical psychologist who primarily works with children and adolescents. This podcast has been designed to offer support to new psychologists who may feel as though they are drowning in uncertainty. It has also been designed to inform and educate parents and teachers on all things child development. Along with some special guests, I explore different aspects of child development, including developmental disorders and emotional regulation, while also advocating for those who may be falling through the cracks in our current system. This episode is proudly sponsored by Baxter Blue, who are reframing the future of blue light glasses with their new biodegradable range. Baxter Blue glasses work by filtering out blue light, which is the harmful light emitted from our digital screens and can cause eye strain, fatigue and headaches. Baxter Blue glasses bring relief to headaches and eye strain by filtering out 80% of the harmful blue-violet light. Check out the episode notes for today's episode to learn more about their range and you might even see a sneaky discount code in there. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of the Playful Psychologist podcast. Today, I want to chat to you guys about how to lay therapy foundations to ensure the effectiveness of coping strategies when we're talking about anxiety. So a lot of the time um, when I do my mentoring sessions, a lot of people say like, oh, it doesn't matter what strategy I try and implement. It seems to go over the child's head or the parent's head, or it's just not working or they're not engaged and so on. So I really want to talk to you today about laying the foundations. Um, to ensure that these are going to be effective. Now, why I think this is so important is because, you know, it's that that age-old saying that Rome wasn't built in a day. You need to really work hard and really, really spend quality time laying foundations. So I think a lot of um, clinicians these days are a bit weary because, you know, we only have so many sessions under a mental health care plan. They feel like we need to get straight into therapy, but that's just not going to work. And unfortunately, the fact of the matter is your clients are usually going to be clients of yours much longer than the 10 to 20 sessions that Medicare currently allows. So I like to kind of explain to parents very early on that, you know, a lot of the work we'll be doing may seem like um, it's not getting us anywhere initially, but you need, and I'll explain to them that we need to lay these foundations in order for therapy to be effective. So just to briefly recap, anxiety is the most common mental health condition and it affects an individual's ability to concentrate, sleep, carry out basic daily tasks, and it actually affects one in 10 children. It is the most common type of mental health condition in both children and adults. So it's quite important that when we are you know, treating individuals that present with anxiety, that we're we're doing it right. So when I work with adults, the first step I usually take in helping them to manage their anxiety is to give them as much psychoeducation as possible. A thorough understanding of anxiety is so important because if they don't understand a problem fully, how are they able to, you know, help themselves and make it better? So think of it like you would a medical problem, if you may. If you have a tummy pain and you go to your local doctor, your doctor's not able to help you properly until they know exactly what's causing your tummy pain and why. And that's the exact same when it comes to anxiety. I feel like this step is often missed with children and it is just so important that we do take the time to psychoeducate them. So when it comes to my first few sessions of anxiety management therapy with kids, I tend to kind of follow the same structure. Now, you know, 80% of the time, one session of rapport building is more than enough. But I just want to preempt this by saying sometimes I need to spend two, three, or sometimes up to five sessions 
just a rapport building with a client, especially if they present with something in, in addition, such as autism. So a child's not going to open up to me about anything unless they actually know me. And like I said, sometimes that can take three to five sessions and sometimes it can take one session, whatever it is and whatever works for them, that's okay. And it's often tricky for parents to understand that at times because they may feel like their money is being wasted simply on like me playing games with their kids or, you know, watching a a couple of cartoons and just chatting and playing any card games and whatever. But that's why it's really important to be super upfront and forthcoming with parents about what to expect in that very first session. So after we have had a chance to do some epic rapport building and now we're getting along and I know that my client is more comfortable with me, that's when we start psychoeducation on anxiety. So this can actually go from, again, one to three sessions. So just to break that down, we let's say it took five sessions to build rapport and it takes three sessions for psychoeducation. You can see now why those Medicare sessions are not enough because we're already at eight sessions and we haven't even started to think about strategies yet. So that's what I mean by most of your clients are going to need more than what Medicare can offer them. And it's really important that you do explain that to parents. But anyways, I went off on a tangent. Let's get back to it. So for younger kids, I usually try and, um, you know, form some sort of anxiety related stories. So for the really younger kids, I may read them a book, you know, like when I'm feeling scared by Tracy Maroney, uh, or for older kids, I might use a relevant movie character or a comic book, depending on their interests. And I'll then try and bring awareness to the worries with children by saying something like, when I'm feeling worried, I can feel my heart rate increase, my face go hot, my breathing get really fast. Can you think of ways that your body starts to let you know that you're feeling worried? And that's when I may bring in things like my motion worksheet pack or, you know, feelings cards and that sort of thing. Because sometimes kids need something tangible to fiddle with, to write with, to look at. um, And that really helps them express their feelings a little bit more. And that's why I create the resources I create. Um, if I am doing this in a group or with younger kids, I may even trace their bodies on a big piece of like butcher's paper or a tinted window in my, in my old office, not my current office, but my old office had this epic tinted window. So I'd use a whiteboard marker and trace, um, the kids' bodies and they got a huge kick out of that. They liked it because it's all about, you know, being interactive and, then I would ask them to draw or circle where their worries were in their body or where they felt their worries. Now, obviously this isn't necessary. It just makes it a little bit more interesting and interactive for them. And I will share what I like to call the alarm bell metaphor of anxiety. And you can use this with anger or sadness also. So the script roughly goes something like, have you ever heard an alarm go off? Maybe a car alarm, a house alarm or a fire alarm. They're pretty loud, right? The reason they are so loud is to let us know that there is a problem that we need to respond to. In our last activity, you showed me all the places in your body that you feel worry. I want you to think of these signals as small alarm bells going off in your body to let you know that you're feeling worried. Together, you and I are going to come up with some cool and fun strategies to help turn this worry alarm off when your body switches it on. Does that sound okay? And I really, really like this metaphor because it's simple and children can like relate to it because most kids have heard a fire alarm or a car alarm or some sort of alarm go off before. Um, And they can really visualize exactly what that means and, and what that may feel like in their body and how we're going to help manage it. 
So if you do want that script, I actually have a lot of the information I'm talking about today in a blog post that's available on my website, which I will link in the episode notes for today's notes. So you can just copy and paste it yourself. But the last step of my psychoeducation phase of therapy is to explore emotional identification and awareness. So I do this in a number of ways. I may use my ABC emotion cards. I may use the St. Luke's Innovative Resources bear cards. Um, And these are really cute cards with bears on them. They all have different feelings. I quite like them. I may also read a book with a child um, and pause it intermittently to ask them how the character is feeling and what they're feeling. And I always do it... um, with YouTube as well. So I'll like look up something like PJ Masks or Peppa Pig, which, you know, are full of feelings, those cartoons, and I'll pause them and I'll ask the child, to really think about why the, the what the character is feeling and why they're feeling that way. And I've never had a kid that hasn't responded to that activity. They froth on YouTube. So that's a really cool way to do it. And, you know, they, they really listen hard and they really try and work hard so that I will play the video again. So it's really, really cool. And that's a really good way to show you that the child has an understanding of what anxiety is or is starting to understand their feelings a little bit more. I may even set them like a homework task where they have to keep a feeling diary and cross. So I'll just get like an A4 piece of paper and I'll draw like 10 different feeling faces on it. And I'll ask them to cross off um, every time they notice someone in their family has felt that way. And then underneath write what it, who it was and why they felt that way. So it sets, and I call it like a secret spy task and they, they really like it. So I guess with psychoeducation, it's all about making it fun and interactive, but drawing them in as well and making them want to, want to meet you halfway with some of those strategies and, and want to work with you. So yeah, I think that's really really important. So it's only after all of that rapport building and all of that psychoeducation that I will then explore a therapeutic avenue and then look at coping strategies, typically either using CBT or like a mindfulness approach. So the reason I wanted to share this information with you is because anxiety disorders can be treated in a variety of ways. However, without laying the foundations for a solid understanding of anxiety, it becomes really difficult for children to make therapeutic gains. So if you ever do have a client where you're like struggling and you think that, oh, you know, they're just not getting this, none of these strategies seem to be effective or working, I would strongly recommend pairing it right back and trying to go back and see how long you spent on psychoeducation and see whether you need to like, you know, take a bit of a step back and and acknowledge that maybe not enough time was spent in that area and just going back and laying those, relaying those foundations. Um, because I guarantee you that's one of the best things that you could ever do for your client. And once you do it a couple of times, you'll definitely be able to see the difference in how your clients then respond to, um, you know, any strategy that you try and put in place. So like I said, this episode was always going to be a quick one. I just wanted to share that with you. I hope you guys find it useful and I'm not really sure when I'm releasing this episode, but stay tuned because my anxiety PDF is coming out.